Welcome class and good morning, Sunday, January 19th. This is the last installment of our class, the least of these. Next week we'll have a presentation from some folks from um, the pregnancy centers in the area. Let me pray for us. Lord, we glory in you that your kingdom is uh, as diverse as humanity. You are gathering a people into your presence from all the nations. Um, so you are God of the nations. Thank you for your mercy and grace, including us. Thank you for Wallace, for her diversity. Thank you for the privilege of discussing this important topic. And uh, thank you for the leaders of this church who I know are, uh, are very, uh, very concerned about what, what it looks like here at Wallace and in our community to, uh, to model the glory of being reconciled to our God and um, just being one in Christ despite all our differences. So use this time, our discussion, for your glory, our good and encouragement, and the growth of our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we were uh, sharing our, our personal experience generally with racism. I want to see if we have any more to say about that. And then move on to your experience at Wallace, if any, of racism, racial reconciliation, diversity. And then we'll look specifically at bringing others here. Are there any barriers in at least these areas of our church's life so that I can report to the session and there can then be wisdom given to the session about whatever needs to be ongoing dialogue and ministry in this respect. So that's the goal, that I would be your, emiss your emissary reporting back to your elders on this particular subject. Does anybody want to say more about their experience personally with racial reconciliation, racism, being diverse, being in a minority, or whatever? Just want to give you the floor on that. I thought last week was incredibly beneficial to hear from one another about this. Joan Kathy? God so much for bringing me to Prince George's County because I grew up in Hartford County and in the 60s and it and it was a it was a little was a little more divided just I grew up in an environment where there definitely was I was cognizant as a child and growing up of a, of a division um, among among the people um, where they live church. Um, so I really, and I came, I came to Silver Spring in 1980, and then I moved over here in 1982. And I just thank God for bringing me down here, because it's much more diverse, and also taking me to Trinity, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church that I've attended for the last 20 years, because that church was very, very diverse. There were over probably 17 or 20 nations represented in that tiny little church. Where's that located? Originally, uh, it was in Bowie, and then over here in Greenbelt, but um, we've had a home now, you know, our own property in Atlanta Man. for the last 20 years. 17 nations represented at in that one small At one point, from the, the Caribbean islands, from Europe, Africa, and just, you could just see the love of in these different people. And it never was referred to as, was that a black church? Was that a white church? Never. Was that, that didn't even come up in the, in the dialogue. So I just really, really thank God for 
people. And, and now, of course, where I'm living is very, very multicultural. Um, as I said before, I counted like 26 nations, and I don't even know everybody. And so that has really helped me to interact, just, just show the love of Christ among these different people. I, was, I wanted to say that last week, but I just didn't quite know how to get my hands around it, so it took me all week to just kind of synopsize it. Good. Wonderful. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Anyone else? I told you I was going to make a comment about Joe and Lindsay's experience on their honeymoon, remember in Charleston? And it's just that there's forms of racism that cross a very wide spectrum, from blatant MLB. I mentioned the example of watching the documentary on Major League Baseball in this country, and it was their policy, blacks aren't playing in the league. That's blatant racism. They weren't hiding anything. They just wouldn't let black people play in their league. That's at one end of the continuum. And then we have something called systemic racism. It's maybe not, maybe not as obvious. And, and what, call, what uh, Joe and Lindsay called to my mind was their observation on their honeymoon in Charleston that all the people in management in the places they were were white and all the people in, in um, you know, waiting and wait staff, they were all African-American. And say, so, is that just a coincidence? Or is that emblematic of what you might call systemic racism, which is no one is saying it out loud, it's in the front page of the paper, but those in management have sort of an unspoken policy. We're not hiring any black people in the management, it's only white people. And that's born of a racist attitude. And we're happy to hire them to do the wait staff and clean the hotel rooms and whatever, but no one's getting into management. And a person might not even need to verbalize that. That's just the way they operate. Am I right using the word systemic racism there as one, just one um, manifestation of it? Okay, let's move on. Your experience at Wallace. You don't have to be in the minority, as it were, to answer this. 
what has your experience at Wallace been? <clears throat> Marty? Well, I've been here a long time. And I do recall about back when we first started attending, which had been back in the mid-70s, early mid-70s. Occasionally, hearing statements from, I would call them more elderly members, being racist. Wow. Now, yeah, I'll just I'll just say that as an observation. And you know that I think that changed. I mean that kind of thing changed as that generation passed on. Um, but it was certainly rather we were part of the PCUSA at that point, that was before we got the PCA. I mean, I think, I think anyone that was, was in leadership at that time and they heard those things uh -huh. would have been pretty offended. Uh, yeah. In, 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 but there were remnants that I think remaining from just the culture. Okay. Thank you. And there were no black officers that I came from. <coughs> How diverse was the? Have those of you been here for a while? Have you seen the? It's a fairly diverse congregation, and we're sort of advertised in the PCA as one of the most diverse congregations in the PCA, which is pretty typically lily white. The PCA is right. This is amazingly diverse, given the PCA churches I personally have seen, which isn't a ton, but um, it's definitely changed over the last forty-five years. I mean, I, I think back when we first started coming, there were relatively few. There, there were there was a significant uh, Pakistani uh, segment. When you started, yeah, 45 years that, ago? Because that, that's sort of been a historical, I mean, that, that's happened, that's been around for a long time. I think we've had a history, some missionaries to Pakistan. Oh. Or, um, <clears throat> anyway, but we had we had connections with the Pakistani community. Uh, relatively few African Americans. So your experience at Wallace. Explanation for that? Not observation? I would observe this real position right now. So to extend the thing, some of that diversity <coughs> has involved any 
one thing we'll do is we're going to we'll ask the question, are, are there barriers here in any of these areas that account for that? Are there barriers that we see or we don't see? Yes, Melissa? I would say the one exception to that is CBS, I think. Um, and that might be because the kids are involved there. So the parents of those kids are helping. Um, so you see more involvement of, uh, you know, um, more variety and different cultures of people coming to participate as far as the adults go in CBS. So that would be the one exception that I've noticed. Your experience at Wallace. Specifically with the Chinese scholars you're referring to. I don't know other racial groups, that's my observation. And, and how long ago was that, Shafang, roughly? So we had a side door ministry, ESL, that attracted people, was meeting a need to teaching Chinese English, right? And it worked. It got them in the front door of the church. And what, they, what I'm hearing is they experienced a welcome when they came here, but they weren't integrated into the life of the church. And generally, that's almost everyone's experience, minority or not. If they come to a church, they're welcomed. If there's not a really good reason to stay, they'll go find another place where there's a good reason to stay. And that's called assimilation. And thoughtful churches are very intentional about assimilation. Some churches, like Wirewood Presbyterian in Birmingham, has a whole assimilation department, like paid staff from top to bottom. And they're constantly following up. And every name that's, there's a register in the pew every Sunday they put up, it used to be this way. You sign your name. If you haven't been there in three weeks, they're calling you. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Anyway, so assimilation. If you're not assimilated, you're probably going to eventually leave and find a place where you feel like you belong. Unless you're, you want to just hide out. Go to the <coughs> church and hide. That's all you want to do. Come in and out. Okay, that's fine for a season, but Christians need to be assimilated, right? What is Christianity? It's belonging to one another. Have I accurately summarized what you're saying? Um, I mean, 
um, uh, how to say that? Maybe it's because of culture, like saying how to be intentional, like because yeah. there's a certain internationalism <coughs> here. It's like what, what no, I'm sorry, there's a what here? The in, in people from different countries. Yeah. So some people they came here, uh, it's just uh, I don't know what's the right word. I mean you can be the I I'm in a way I am, but if you really want to reach out, you actually need to do some extra effort. Uh, sometimes if you don't have resources, sometimes it's just mindset how to integrate that. Okay. Into the, in a way that for them they may have a different baseline in terms of understanding of Christianity. They may never thought about anything about Bible. How how yeah. in what way you can help them to be able to yeah, you know it, it may be as simple as um, you're you're Mr. and Mrs. Chinese couple. You know you're studying at the university for a few years. You come to ESL. You like what you experience. That's friendly. ESL invites you to Wallace. You invited to Wallace, and then the person who invited you said, "Hey, I want you to meet Mike and Janice. They have a heart for newcomers in the church." And so you introduce this couple to Mike and Janice, and what do we do? We walk with them through the process. They're not here next week. Hey, we missed you. Can we come pick you up? Did you get those diapers you needed for your kids? When can we go? You want to see the mall downtown D.C.? Let's plan that some weekend. So, a cu- um, so do you think if, if these couples that have come in that aren't assimilated had been assigned just to one family that's going to walk with them, they'd have stayed? But just to, just to be clear, so I've come into Wallace as, a, as an outsider, and let's suppose I got the personal care from this couple. You're saying secondarily, their experience of what goes on at Wallace, they've got to connect with that. Yeah, I mean, I've heard from different people that when they come here, they sit in the worship services. They don't understand. And the kids are crying, they want, they have to, they want to leave. Okay. So there's a language barrier. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was Just also wondering, because also so maybe it's a cultural, just the way people interact, the way the kinds of discussion that goes on, the way people approach each other. Some of that might feel different too. Maybe um, we're a bit aggressive and something. You know, culturally we're different. So, so maybe some sensitivity regarding cultural norms and that sort of thing could help in that setting. Like more broadly. Yes. Okay. Lindsay? I have a question. How much of it with the Chinese population is a lack of basic Bible knowledge? Like we're just talking way over their biblical knowledge. And so we make a we make a reference to Abraham and that means nothing. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean the in China a lot of Christians, most of them they don't have anything about Bible. Yeah. We have to engage in a way cultural piece, kind of have a comparison. What makes sense? What's the difference? Yeah. I don't know. There's a gap over there, and also, I know language is the issue. Quite a lot of people come here; they don't understand. Even though there are scholars, their English level is pretty low. Sure. At the beginning, the barrier is sort of high. Yeah.
That, that's a huge challenge. And, and actually, um, your secular neighbors, they don't know who Abraham is either. So it, it's true with your secular neighbors. Christianity has to be interpreted. Christianity has to be explained. Christianity has to be exegeted. So, so the paradigm is, I'm getting to know my neighbor. They're beginning to trust me because they've experienced hospitality in my house. I've shown taken care and interest in them. They finally bridge that gap. Yeah, I'll go with you to church. Highly skeptical, right? The only time they've ever been to a church is maybe a funeral, maybe a wedding. And they come to church, and they don't, they don't, of course, of, of, of course the language is over their head. Theological language, biblical language. But then you go out and have coffee with them and say, what did you hear? What wasn't clear? What did the preacher say? Did, it, did anything make sense? You interpret it for them. Right? Christianity is spread relationally. You, you, they have a relationship with you and you interpret it for them. That's a lifestyle evangelism right at its heart. Nate? Yeah, I don't want to be just dead horse, but that shows the, the ability that an individual has in communicating the gospel to another individual and tailoring it and having a back and forth discussion rather than saying, well, you need to come to church and hear somebody who's going to present something that is... There's, there's obviously value in what's being presented, but it's going to miss a lot of the marks for them personally that you can fill in when you're having that individual discussion. Yeah. Good. And, and the other thing is, hopefully this is the way the preaching comes across, and we'll talk about it specifically in a second. Hopefully what you can say is, well, you know, I heard the pastor say on Sunday morning the 19th that, that the eternal destiny of unbelievers is horrible. That's, that is in the outline, if you've read ahead. It's absolutely horrible. Well, the doctrine of hell is offensive. Unbelievers don't like it. They don't like a God who sends people to hell, right? That's one of the reasons why they don't believe in God. They hate a God who sends people to hell. So, at least you can say this much. Look, I'm not making this up. I'm, I'm just showing you what the Bible teaches. I'm showing you what Jesus teaches. Let's see if we can interact with what Jesus is teaching. So, you try to make it, you try to, you don't be the offensive thing. Let the Bible, let the gospel, let Jesus be the one who's speaking, who's offensive. But, don't you know that about your unbelieving friends? They hate a God who judges people. Just listen to them talk about the God of the Old Testament. They the atheists, they hate him. They don't believe in him, but they hate him. No, that's the irony, right? They don't believe in him, but they hate the God of the Bible. Anyway, so but what, they want to say, what you want to do is say, you know, you have loved me and served me and listened to me so well that even though I don't believe what you believe, man, I see that it's true in your life. Or I wish it was true. I wish it were true. So anyway, walk with them personally to get them to stab themselves to death with the Bible. Right, the sword of the spirit. Okay, anything else you're experiencing at Wallace? Because we'll move on to specifics then. I used your honeymoon experience before you got here. Okay. Bringing others. So this is a natural segue. We want to be bringing people to church. Uh, what, what, are we, what are the natural barriers? Are there natural barriers in our liturgy, the preaching? Because one of the things the handout is, is asking elders to look at is um, are, well, these very things. Are there barriers in the way we do outreach, our fellowship, children, youth ministry, so that I can report to the session how we move forward as a church. 
Are there barriers? Let, let's, let's acknowledge one that I think we did last week. Our language, we speak English. It is going to be hard for Chinese scholars whose English isn't proficient to understand mm -hmm. a service. That would actually be true of virtually any English-speaking service that they want to, right? It's going to be true wherever they go. Can we give them a reason to persevere and say, I don't always understand everything, but I want to go back. Are there reasons they might feel that way? Maybe that's one of the questions we could ask. So, liturgy. Let's take that first. Are there inherent barriers in the way we do liturgy to minorities? Jump? Well, so um, we make, we read things that might be useful to understand without context, right? So you don't a general biblical context, we're just jumping into something and reading um, and, uh, Good. You know, kind of um, announcement, you know, you know, sometimes missionary things that, that we're hearing, and you don't see a context, well, why are we doing that? And, oh, you're just, you don't just meet people up. It, 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 there's a lot of context, I guess. <coughs> you know, some of those types of announcements and that sort of thing. Good. Good. So we don't want to be speaking as if the audience is only everybody who knows what's going on. Because then you've alienated people who don't know what's going on. For the most part, right, don't we want to try to speak as if there are people here who don't quite understand everything that's going on? That's giving a context to things. Good. Nate? I think we, I appreciate the effort that's been made to put explanations in the bulletin, yep. but I don't think that that should cover it. Okay. So, um, I think the assumption is that people who are here are going to be scouring that while they're also trying to pay attention. And Good. so uh, I know of at least one church in the area that intentionally explains everything that's going on in somehow in a way that's not repetitive and boring for people, but you know, it's just like, here's what we're going to be doing, and here's how it works, and you've never, they're very intentional about, they're going to be, hopefully there are people here that don't know what's going on. So we hopefully. want to be as comfortable as possible for them, <coughs> while at the same time, you're explaining this in greater detail to believers, because uh, there's a lot of cases where we assume that believers understand everything and why we're doing it, but a lot of cases that's not the case, and this kind of teaches them, and they do it in a fresh way, so it doesn't um, really poor, really experienced Christians as well. So. That's a tough nut to crack, but it's a good goal. Do you want to tell us what that church is, or is that not important? Yeah, Grace Mosaic. Sorry? Grace Mosaic, PCA Church. In the district or Silver Spring? Uh, district. Okay. And it's a pretty diverse congregation, Grace Mosaic. Sure. Yeah. Who's the pastor? Russ Whitlow? Yes. Yeah. Anything else about our liturgy? The denominational, the denominational aspect, I think, of like the Book of Church Order and everything that's Presbyterian is another layer of trying to understand what's going on. Okay. I mean, you're looking at me. Uh, I'm, I no, was I, I was just recently explaining to a friend who was asking about the difference. I was talking about my Christmas break, and she was asking about the difference between uh, Marusic, the Marusic Church that we visited versus... My sister-in-law, Amber's church down in Baptist Church. Um, what is it? At, on Capitol Hill, you know, and you know, and another, and my mother-in-law's church. And so she was asking, you know, what the difference was between all of these. And yes. I'm trying to explain to her, you know, Calvinistic doctrine versus you know, baptism. You know, why hasn't your daughter been baptized? Well, this kind of baptism versus this kind of baptism. So it's like. Just the simple message of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, like for that to come across, yes. instead of all the other layers of additional information that, that comes out. 
Good. So here, here's what I think I'm hearing, Lisa. That is, you, in your mind, you need to prioritize where you're going to start with someone who knows virtually nothing about your faith. Start with Jesus. And start with the Bible. Don't start with the doctrine of election. Don't start with the doctrine of particular redemption. Right? Uh, don't start with the nature of the presence of Christ in the sacraments. Don't start there. Don't start with the book of church order. You should be hearing about the book of church order when you're in a membership. In my opinion, look, I'm your interim. This is my opinion. I'm not speaking for our session. So, so. You should hear about this when you're in a membership class. When you've come long enough to say, I think I want to join this church. I need to know more about it. That's where, as a pastor, I've explained the precedent form of government why we don't ordain women, what the book of church order is, the vows I've taken as a pastor. That's where I get into all the weeds there. I don't think you hardly ever hear the BCO mentioned in a worship service here for a good reason. It's, it's way down the line in terms of what you need to know. Sorry? Not in a worship service we know. The, wor- the book of church oh, sorry. order. So, and then, um, yeah, sorry, the go ahead. Confession of faith. Yes. We do read from it, and for good reason. And we, we often explain why we're using it, and that is, scholars a number of hundred years ago summarized what the Bible teaches about certain subjects. So this is back to what Nate was saying. Give it a context. Why are we talking about I don't think we explain why we do that very often. Okay. I think we just get right. Put that down. We need to do that better. What? <laughs> Sorry, I, Janice is taking notes from me. So you're asking about the person, like the person who doesn't know what's going on. Yes. You're reading from this other thing, other than another thing. Sure. The Westminster yes. Faith, as opposed to the Bible, which we're saying is what we believe in, and yes. In their simple, you know, in their simple understanding of it's the Bible, and then there's this other book. Yes. So then you go out for coffee and they say, why are you bothering with this thing called the Westminster Confession? Why are you bothering with that? Give an answer. There there are answers to that question. That is, this is a faithful summary of what the Bible teaches about certain subjects, and there's a benefit to that. So... Mike, so philosophy and ministry would be a problem about the Bible to answer some of these questions instead of just starting to do things. Um, So worship service fundamentally for believing body, or is it also for of those who are not, and to what degree is one of each. Um, yes. Is there a passage in Corinthians which kind of addresses that? Yes. Paul expects unbelievers to be there. He doesn't, is this what you're referring to? He doesn't want everybody speaking in tongues because the believer goes, what the heck is going on? He wants order. He wants comprehensibility. Good. And there's no doubt the worship service is pitched to believers. They're there to worship God. Right? Yeah, so, so I guess what I'm saying is there is a balance, right? So, yeah. so we can find a spectrum Services where really you'd be very comfortable bringing your own lady friends and everything is very basic and explained. But those who continue to go there year after year after year that church are not really moving beyond some very fundamental things. And so we know that the church needs to grow leaders up into faith too. So yeah. I guess what I'm suggesting is that we really need to understand that kind of where what we're trying to do ultimately or what kind of it happens to do in that context. Yeah. So it's not purely one the other, I mean, I mean, I think that's kind of what it's kind of a philosophy of how that should go. Yeah. Good. Yes. <laughs> Marty? Just to sort of follow up on that, what, you're, what I'm sort of hearing you sort of inputting along the way here is that some of these things are things that are barriers that we maybe need to change or consider changing. Other things we recognize are barriers, but it's who we are. 
And so we want to make sure that we provide other sorts of incentives and positive aspects to life together so that despite even some things that are challenging for folks, they make it, it it's worth their while to stay and you know they're loved well enough and they're integrated well enough that until they get to the point where they understand and comprehend all these other, you know, these other things. Uh, and, and so this is this balance that Joe's talking about. I mean, we're, we're things that we we want to be, we want to communicate well to folks who don't understand what's going on, but if we're going to continue to nurture the body of Christ, there's going to be things that they won't understand. Yeah. Periodic explanations, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, periodic explanations of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Yes. So that over time people do begin to understand and begin to accept it as their own. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if, if you invited someone to church and they came away thinking, I have no idea what Christians do or believe, that would be a failure, wouldn't it? Why would they expect Christians who gather not to do what Christians do? The point is you're interpreting that, you're explaining that, you're answering their questions, you're engaging them on. I didn't make sense when you all did that. Why did that guy say, you can't come to the Lord's Supper if you don't believe in Jesus? Why did he say that? Well, did, did he not make that clear? I'll help make that clear for you. Christianity has to be personally interpreted. Okay. So you have the whole continuum from the seeker, the seeker church. All it is is it's there for seekers to those that never even think about seekers being in their midst. In my humble opinion, you're doing church for believers sensitive to the fact that seekers are going to be there. So you're making some adjustments in the way you speak, talk, think, preach, etc. That's that's just me. But I'm not here to impose my will on on Wallace. Well, we're running out of time. How about any of these things? Preaching, fellowship, outreach, children and youth ministry, barriers particularly to minorities coming I in. I think fellowship follows right on what Marty was saying. I think that that is a key element that when we have people or visitors or people that are coming to the church, the fellowship piece is following through with those people and uh, reaching out to them and getting together with them and figuring out what went well, what didn't go well, you know, following through with the, the friendship with them. I mean, I've seen people come and go here. I have, I have one particular couple in my neighborhood that Matt and I really, we need to sit down and have the the interesting conversation. Like, yeah. You came for some time. Yeah. You're not coming anymore. Let's let's talk about it. What, yeah. what did you see? What did you like? Right. What didn't you like? Good. It's a hard time. I mean, I know. I'm just like, what are those things on my my to do list? Yeah. But um. Just assume we're in the wrong. Just start that way. What what yeah, did we do wrong? Know, yeah, I don't know that it's in the wrong. Disarming. I'm just, I'm just curious what their what they experienced. Were. Yeah. Um. It's just. I'm sure all of us have seen people kind of come and go, and have we followed up with them? And but can you invite these people to your home group? Oh, yeah, sure. Good, good. I mean, I don't still say yes, but... This is the main place we do koinonia, right? Burden-bearing, praying for one another, sharing, the, walking together in the Christian life. It's the main place we do it, home groups. Could you invite other barriers in what we're doing to inviting a minority neighbor to, to your home group? That's the question, Nate. I'm not a minority, but if I was and I was coming here, what I think I would do is look to see after the service to see who's talking with one another. Uh -huh. So if you have a big, diverse group of people, but as soon as the service is over and you only have like people talking with white people, people talking with black people, and there's no 
conversations that are going on there, that would tell me something about the nature of the church. Good. So do you make a point to reach out to people different than you after the worship service? Do you make a point to do that? Just reach just people different than you. What is our natural inclination? Go to your friends. Talk to your friends. So let me encourage you. Resist doing that initially. And go greet somebody you don't know necessarily. Michael? I just have a question I've been wrestling with throughout this whole thing and in life in general. If we do that, if we, if we approach somebody because they're different, are we not propagating the fact that we think they don't know as much because they are a minority? Is that not propagating the entire idea that we're trying to combat? I don't think so. I, don't, I wouldn't want you to go with that assumption. The reason I'm talking to you is because you don't know as much as me. It's just well, and, and not even that. I mean, it, so we're talking about the Chinese in our church and the blacks in our church and these. Are we not propagating this entire racist mentality by doing that? Is that if you intentionally reach out to somebody who you think is a minority, I think everyone in here is a minority to everyone else, right? So I, I have a hard time understanding where we're trying to combat an issue vice propagating it. Okay. Sure. So, is this is Michael's concern is by by creating a, a category in your mind? There's minority. I'm going to go say hi to them. Are we not just propagating that? that? Okay. Joe. Yeah, I, I understand that too. Um, I think that we could view it as deadly. The world is broken. And this is a barrier. This is what sinful nature can hold on to. This is a race and that sort of thing. Culturally, we see it. You and I might not be so directly responsible for some of that, but anyway. Um, so I can see it as kind of trying to make up for that difference by just being mindful to do something. So I'm sure we can come up with examples where we see there's a tendency for it to go a certain way that's not as good, and just a little more mindful. So is it wrong for you to talk to a brand new white person, white guy who's in their late 20s who comes sit next to you with you? Yeah, you should. But, you know, it's one of those things I would think where Thank you. Frank and then Lindsay. Uh, and also, I would say that from an attitude of humility, going to a person with the understanding that they're going to know things and see things differently than me, and probably better than me in a lot of ways, um, that I would never really, I would never really be um, connected with unless I had that conversation. So, you know, not looking down at a person who's different than me, but actually looking at them as maybe they can teach me something. Thank you, Frank. We spent weeks and weeks talking about how we see each other as image bearers yeah. to, to pave the way to step into other people's lives, seeing them as God's humanity versus as people of difference. Yeah. You have the last word.
all of those things are things I don't naturally probably do that bring the kingdom forth, like Janice, Janice was saying, because it reminds us of what unites us is Christ, right? And so we're going, we're able to go into these conversations knowing we have the most important thing in common um, and allow that to supersede some of these um, perceived differences. And I, I think that you know, we really allow the kingdom to go forward when we can do that and, and do that boldly. Good. Thank you. Well, we'll, I'll do some reporting back to your session. I'm kind of running out of time. I apologize. If you have more you want me to communicate to your session, please let me know. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Wallace. uh, We're very grateful for the diversity that is here. We long to see greater measures of integration, and we long to see you bring us the nations, Jesus, for you love and save the nations. So give us increased sensitivity and help the elders of this church to uh, wisely and pastorally address uh, this and think thoughtfully about uh, whatever barriers we need not erect that um, are those different than us, whatever they look like, can, can join in our worship of Jesus. And give us of your spirit now to do just that, the glory in our risen Savior, to be filled with hope, joy, encouragement, comfort by his presence. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you.